Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Do y'all really need me to introduce Gavin Rossdale? I mean, he's Gavin Rossdale. His band Bush, remember? Big hits. And he's had a now three-decade-plus career of making rock and roll. I was, not going to lie, a little nervous to talk to Gavin. And when he came on, you know, he's such an iconic-looking guy. I definitely had to sort of battle through nerves that I don't always get with these interviews, but for whatever reason, maybe it was the accent. Turns out, charming, lovely, sweet, open, thoughtful, everything you want in a wheels-off interview, Gavin Rossdale delivers in spades. Um, Trigger warning towards the end, there's a little bit of talk about religion that you know, might, with perhaps a different um, general audience, spark some controversy, you know, whatever. He's a rock and roller. He talks about his beliefs or lack thereof, and I think it's fine. It's all, you know, in the name of talking about creativity and the creative life, and that's what we're here to examine. So please welcome to Wheels Off, Gavin Rossdale. Welcome to Wheels Off, Gavin Rossdale. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, for the edification of the listening public, what? Uh, where are you logging in from? Uh, my studio in uh, California, in, in the United States of America. <laughs> nice. Um, I can see you've got, obviously, sound deadening equip- uh, baffles on the wall and a bass and a keyboard. So you're making music in this room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been working in this room for the last couple of years. Um, it used to be a bedroom, but I turned it around. You can get, now they can trick it out. And now the sound panels, I've made the cover into a vocal booth. It's super cool. It's like, it's really, it's really amazing. And uh, I had a home studio before, then I had a home studio, what studio I went with drive to. That was kind of cool. But having it back in the house is just, um, I really like it. I really like it. 
Have you mastered um, Pro Tools or Logic? I mean, are you good at running the computer end of things? Um, I'm probably one of the worst engineers you've had on the show for a while. But I, well, what I can, that's, I'm, I can engineer myself. When this is my process. When I write, I um, can put everything down. I can arrange a whole song. I can move stuff around Pro Tools um, and come up with an entire journey, whole song, right? Um, and then um, what I don't do, never tried to do, is do vocals. So when, I, when I'm ready to do vocals, I will write the vocal part, what I think is the vocal part, and then I have an engineer who comes in and finishes it off. Like, for example, when I'm recording myself and I start off with a couple of guitars and, you know, double-track guitars, two in the verse, two in the chorus, whatever, and, this, and a couple of keyboards, some drums, percussion. So there's not that much information. But when they come in, suddenly it looks really complicated. The, the screen's like, what are all these? Now nah, you lost. So I'm not a very good engineer, but I, what I am good at, even though I say so myself, I can choose really good sounds. So I have really amazing soft synths. I have amazing guitar stuff. So every intrinsic sound is like, is, is, is pretty, like I just like it. It's been so nice to, I, when I had my own studio, for example, I never was an engineer. So I'd wait for my guy to, freaking turn on the pro tools i wasn't that guy i was just like no i'll just write so the poor guy just sitting there from like <laughs> the silence all the way through to the to the final mixes you know to the mastering uh but now i kind of spare him that and i i get my my act together before he joins me so it's pretty much together for the song you know and i mean whenever i when it whenever i start singing i must admit that Sometimes I'll be like, oh, hot damn, that vocal does not fit on there. I already thought it did. Uh, you know, I was in here in the room. I thought it was sounding amazing. Now I'm recording it. I don't sound amazing. So it's a little uh, voyage of discovery. But yeah, this room is is uh, integral. It's only between two, you know, my two son's rooms are either side of this room. Cool. And they, and they never get bothered by the noise? No, I don't tend to use too much in here when they're home anyway, but Nah, they're kids and they're louder than I am. So no, it's not like that. Nice. So it's funny, I, the process uh, fascinates me. Do you tend to write, like as you're recording, you're, you're still composing lyrics and coming up with melodies? Yeah. I've done it in many different ways. And at this point in my life, I, I, I'm happy to do it many different ways. So for example, I will um, receive music from someone, you know, to do a me co-writing is someone else gives me music and I either use all of it or some of it. And then I always do the top lines. I'm, it's weird. I don't, I wouldn't mind collaborating on top lines, but as soon as I work with anybody, they get out of my way when I do the top lines, which is super respectful, but I'm not out of time to be like, try something they're thinking, you know, but it's just, I was like, well, I was thinking this, they go, that's great. Then we move on. So it's weird uh, for that. Um, so I've never done a true co-write, like sitting in a room and trading chords. And what do you think about this? I did that only on my solo record. On my solo record, I did it because I was forced to by my label. And I enjoyed the process. I would do it again. But every time I work with people, I'm going to work with Tyler Bates this week. But he he loves to get music together for me. And he's, some songs he's done, all the music, and some songs of the four or five we've done together, uh, six songs I think we've done together, some songs I'll be like, listen, this riff is unbelievable. This is where I would put a chorus. This is what I would do from that riff, from that place. That's what helps me to find the vocals I like. 
And that, like a song called Blood River, we have that is exactly like that. It's literally split between his devastating riff and then me going, so I can sing and be free. So that's how it works. So I'm happy to take it any way it comes. Sometimes I have entire lyrics that I have. Sometimes I don't have any lyrics. When I have no lyrics, it's dangerous because I can like play something for two days and be like, oh, I don't know. What, what does this make me feel? I'm not sure. And other times I'll just come in and something happens in four minutes, you know? Boy, that's kind of the best, isn't it? Tom Waits said uh, songwriting is either easy or impossible. <laughs> it's so good. He had a quote once that I think about all the time at South by Southwest. He was between songs and he said, I love it when I write a song because I finish it and I say, now go fly away and make daddy some money. <laughs> I love him. He's the best. So it, it seems to me like you're constantly creating and working. I wonder, do you have a creative project you're working on right now? Yeah, always. Yeah. Three things. Oh, well, yeah. Musically, musically, there's always the next record. I did hear this concept that, that Springsteen always had five or six songs ready to go. So I have five songs and three. Um, Three I'm investigating, and no, and then I have one new song, a brand new song. It's just riff and two bits of music. That's cool. Really like it. So I don't know it yet, but I just was working on those five. So I go by numbers. Um, it gives me comfort to just know that I have a little stockpile. You know. So our, like our listeners, can't, our listeners can't see it, but you just looked off to the side. Do you have like a whiteboard where you've written down the? Yeah, the I have a whiteboard. With uh, five five songs, I've written new songs, and I have three songs that exist in the catalog that I haven't used. And I'm like, should I use them? Why didn't I use them? What's wrong with them? You know, <laughs> it's difficult for me. I write songs and then I present them to the band or to the um, producer, and then it's then deciding what songs we work on. But inevitably, you leave a couple behind. You know? And uh, one was my favorite record off the last session. And I, we were going to get to it, and then we ran out of time. We mm. didn't have the time. I was like, well, it's now would be the 10th or 12th, 13th track we recorded. This might not get the love it deserves. So for the first time ever, I've kept, I kept that song, and it's the first song on the title for the next record because it's, it, was, it was really good. And when we, me and the producer, Eric, were like, oh, shit, we left that one off. I was like, what happened to that song? He goes, oh, we didn't get to that. I was like, it's really good. I just really got some stuff going on it. I got some girls singing on it. I got some great question and answer things. I was so proud of my sort of production on it. I was like, this is going to be great. And then it never got realized. The band never played it. It seems like, you, though, just from your descriptions you've given me, it seems like you work with producers in a really easygoing like happy go lucky kind of way i definitely have heard stories where producers try to get their best work from their artists by pushing them or um antagonism do you do you respond to that at all well or do you like a happy environment i'm like a really serious musician serious writer who just wants to have a you know, great time and enjoy my life and so you know, I I know there's that kind of, is, is it, I mean, the pain and, and the um, the kind of, the gravitas in the songs 
is in there in the composition. You don't need to be in a cold environment with erect nipples so that you could you could sound forlorn or lost or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have heard stories of certain producers who will do like, uh, play the songs all together, you know, like confront you more. What are these lyrics, that lyrics? That's never, I've always worked with people that are kind of really creative, really accomplished adults. And so they just have a certain way about them, which is kind of sophisticated. I just never, everyone I've worked when I think of it, you know, it's a, sophisticated communication you know eric's a sweetheart the last time i made a record with you know sometimes I, i'm sure i annoy him because i was probably have more opinions than they i don't know i never know if i have too many opinions but like if you write a song like i'm never lost oh no what now i might not have the right solution but i've always got a solution you know what i mean it's like it's just the mathematics so you can it's solvable by employing maths you know um so i've never had a tricky never a tricky producer when i think about it, steve albini is the most famous tricky person i've worked with mm. and um i found him amazing and like i would push him he didn't want to do any production because he thought producers were pigs but i was like that's ridiculous you've been in fucking studios for like 30 years like give us a trick what are you talking about <laughs> we thread the the, um, the tin foil through the strings, uh, it'll take through the strings, and then you make really cool, effectsy sounds, whatever, so certain things. So I was always that. My, my thing is that if you do a project and you're learning something, if I work with a producer, I want to nick something from them. I want to see how they work. And I know every time I work with a producer, I should, we should all get better. You take on board what they said and you kind of grow from your experience with them. And that's the whole idea as life, isn't it? And like you get a little better at what you do, but you have a little, a little with a little like a little bit of spice from them, spice from him, or spice from her, and that's how you you get there. And um, so each time I get to go make a record, like I'm gonna make a record now, it should be the most comprehensive, clear demos I ever made. Last one was really comprehensive and really clear, but they just tended to. Um, I didn't by the by the chorus or something. I wasn't always overly making sure the drums were perfectly tight with the bass drum was in exactly the right place. You know, do you know what I mean? I don't. I would want to get the song out and want to do that. Now, when I saw that when I got there, that got corrected. That's never going to happen again because now I'm like, okay, fuck it. It's not that difficult. I learned editing. Move the bass drum around a bit. Sit it nicely, and it, that doesn't happen. So, all the way along, you're just kind of pulling your socks up, so to speak, and just getting a little bit more articulate as a as a recording person so that's it but it's brilliant now i mean i can sound like 20 people in the studio it's ridiculous you know what you can do with, with sounds and my band's amazing and they're not even on it yet so they always improve stuff you know they always make it sound better do you remember a moment when you were a kid when you knew that this was going to be your life making rock and roll making music was there an epiphany moment for you no, there was an epiphany into the power of rebellion and revolution in music because I experienced punk. So I, I was like, I, I got to know what it feels like to revolt people the way that the punk revolted the kind of, um, everyday people, you know, the outrage. There was a TV show when I was a kid 
the TV show Bill Grundy where Johnny Lydon, but he was then Johnny Rotten, is swearing at um, the guy on TV. Seen it. And you, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like on TV, it was like, oh my God, you know, no one's done anything like that. was like, that was misbehaving. So, like, that was, that's what I was like, punk is cool. Oh my God, these guys. And just, uh, and so we used to, and it was always in all, in all the papers. Uh, so the whole culture, all our front daily mirror, sun, it's all like, you know, these sort of reprobates, these heathen, get these kids out, put the, send the kids to prison, they need to go to uh, the army and just what, what, so, so, so I got that sense of what you could do and there's never been a rebellion like it ever since. Um, but so no, my eureka moments were just um, more like, could I find a way to not have to, go to college and then try and get a job and join the, you know, wasn't I special? Wasn't I different? Do I have to follow those rules? Am I, I felt like an outlier. So why was I going to follow the chosen path of everyone else? You know, everyone's going that way. Everyone's shouting. I think you should whisper. So, so I didn't feel connected to that. And then I was like, all right, but if you don't go to college and you're going to, you know, what, what is your job going to be? Do you know what, what is it? So, I got this really bad idea of um, of being a singer, and I couldn't really sing. I hadn't like sung, couldn't play any instruments, and I just just began uh, one foot at a time. And I'm still that you know, still every day one step further, you know, uh, to the point of like my now now I can like name all the all the track all the you know on the on the. Uh, you know, on the on the pro tours, I can. It's got a lot of verse too. A lot of mid-late there. I can go all that kind of bullshit. It's not very <laughs> difficult. Markers. It's not a lot. I I won't win any engineering awards, but I don't. I don't want any engineering awards. I literally, it's literally, to give me the privacy to fuck up at first and then get the song right. You know, that's literally what it is. It's like I just have the confidence to just be like terrible because there's no one else in the room. And I don't have to live with terrible. I can be terrible and then change it the next day. And uh, so I've gotten a little bit like used to that reflective moment in, in making things, you know, like, is that any good? I can always improve the lyric the next two or three days later. I can much better weigh in, sits better. I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? That doesn't rhyme, you know. So I, I've got a little process down. It's not labored, but it's like, I get the benefit of the privacy. I really do. Yeah. And I love that. The, the similar processes that I've heard described are Leonard Cohen. If he wants three or five verses, he'll write 25 verses and then cherry pick the best ones. Matt, yeah. who I, I imagine you might have met Matt um, Berninger from The National. Uh, I, I love that, he's great. He described doing what you're doing where you but just recording sort of um ad-libbing into the re recording vocal take after vocal take and then his wife will go through and say oh you had a really good line on this take on the third verse you should use that and sort of piecing together stuff that he just randomly said that almost right. seems like cheating i mean it's, it, on one hand it's very beautiful i mean obviously tom Waits is famous for writing with kathleen brennan his wife yeah and i mean i think the both the National and um, Tom Waits are two fantastic bands. Actually, not a million miles apart from each other, in a way. 
more codependent than maybe you or me, it seems. You know, I, 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 the idea of having someone else choose lyrics for me just just fills me with dread because <laughs> what if they choose the wrong lyric? You know, it's just like it's just subjective. I mean, I want to be so deep in love that, that that I know who can choose that for me. So I think it's a great thing to aspire for, and it's a reflection of their marriage more than uh, the best way to work. <laughs> yeah. And that might not be every song. That which, might by the way, which by the way is incredibly beautiful. I think that's gorgeous that, yeah. that she that he does that, that he's that open. Um I thought that that film about the, with the national and his brothers working for them yeah. and the brother fire just they're a fantastic band and that story was like I've never actually seen them and I would love to see them. Uh but yeah, it's interesting. Everyone just has their 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 way of doing it, and I think it does nothing matters about it. it. Just all that matters is how you get there, or what the final, whether you know, however you get there, it doesn't matter who helped, who didn't help. It just you serve the song. The song is the is the sort of uh, the guru. I love the way you describe having the privacy to make mistakes and to sound stupid and mess up as you're writing a song. I wonder how you deal with the sort of internally generated obstacles, the negative voices in your head that try to prevent you from, you know, finishing the song, doing the thing you were meant to do. What strategies yeah. have you come up with over the years? Um, I mean, I, I have a very tortured process and which is mainly centered around self-hate and lack of self-belief to just, you know, until you get, until it, like the impossible bit about songwriting. And then the easy bit is when you just pick up a guitar and you just, you know, just smoke a joint and suddenly you hear a riff, you play, your fingers play a riff and you say something and you go, oh my God, that was incredible. You know, that really was, you know, that was the moment. And um, so it's just about quieting yourself. And, and I think that, um, People talk about this a lot, um, about inspiration being, it's funny, you know, because you could, you could find quotes of certain people, you know, I think that uh, Johnny Cash is sort of talking about inspiration. You can't just write, you wait for inspiration. Now, anything Johnny Cash says is legit, right? For me, that's bullshit about inspiration because uh, I, I've got deadlines. I've got to make a record. I can't just sit around and wait till I feel good about something. Oh, that, that maybe I got to like be in the studio by sitting in the studio and physically showing up to work. Um, that my uh, the best bit of advice I ever got when I was a kid, and I apologize if anyone's interested in me and heard this before, but it's a really great thing for everyone. Uh, my friend's dad said to us when we were kids, uh, starting this thinking we were getting away with it you know not getting a job so that he goes oh we're very well and good you guys doing this as your job you're now uh pop stars or wannabe pop stars rock stars whatever the fuck you are but don't forget tim pan alley they're there nine to five five days a week writing songs and that really screwed me up because it meant that um i always had to be like that like now i know that i have a little bit of time in between touring um, I'm with my boys, but when they were at school, and if they're not with me, they're you know fifty percent they're with me, fifty percent not. Uh, I got to be in the studio. I got to be writing. You know, I got to be doing my thing because I think you can just you know you can find your inspiration by sort of going uh, through three 
hours of bullshit where you're just like, you know, you're just like fat on the back of a, a piece of meat that's not really got any function despite its flavor. So, you know what I mean? Uh, and then you just find it. So that's what I think happens with me. So I go through anything. I torture myself. As soon as I write a song, I feel really confident, really happy, feel really a thing. But I noticed that it's a muscle. So when I'm in here and writing regularly, just playing, I am fit creatively. The problem is when I don't come in here for like two months, I'm away two months, and I come back, I want to see my kid. I'm not in here. Then when I start again, it's all a bit creaky. I'm not quite, I've got a little bit of plaque, plaque on the creativity. You know, I'm not quite there as clear as what does matter to me? What am I singing about? What is this? You know, what's going on? And uh, so it's an endless journey. And just as you have one definitive system that's going to either cripple you or raise you, you find another system that happens, that comes along. You know, you're no good. Oh, you're really good. This is great. Everyone should hear this. I've got to play this song for everyone. I've got to play this song for no one. That was wrong. You know, so this constant torture of voices in your head about it, which I, it's, that's the creative process. And it's ir irrespective of whether it's a song or a painting or room installation, it's the, it's the creative thing. It's funny, my friend who writes movies was always like, why have you written songs really well for a long time? Why are you going to torture yourself to write? Why can't you just be like, I've had a lot of success. Let's continue in that vein. That's like, oh my God, that sounds like ridiculous. He then went on to bring out a movie. He made a movie, bringing it out. And now he's going, going into another movie. And now he's under the pressure that I've all talked to him about for 30 years because he never had that first, he never got published so to speak he's always there's always like potential stuff potential work maybe i'll do this this movie no this movie and the reality was no um as soon as he was in the real world and really making it and he had pressure for the next one he's feeling it just like the rest of us <laughs> it's funny i recently did a song retreat and my guest host was charles thompson frank black from the P pixies oh wow who is so great and and is really you know was was very open about his process and at one point I asked him the sort of question about how does he deal with his inner demons and he goes I don't have any inner demons and I'm thinking like that's impossible come on and then over the course of the next hour he described three or four different ways where he's he's like we we're listening back to this song and I couldn't believe it sounded good because I thought we were horrible I'm like that's the inner demons the voices in your head so I think Charles's way of uh not having inner demons is pretending he just doesn't have them right it's well guess. that's very maharaja you know uh your mind is you know your mind is your is, is, is your problem not mine it's not my mind <laughs> you are not just, your mind yeah you are not your mind you disown your mind have you studied much um meditation or eastern philosophy uh, you know, bits and pieces i love that you know that's to me i i love that concept uh, i'm not that spiritual mm -hmm. i sort of can't be asked to sort of <laughs> just can't be i'm not that dependent i just think it's nonsense everything's nonsense apart from synchronicity i believe in synchronicity and, and, and the energy of me people meeting that i find that incredible you know how you bump into people all the people that you meet on in your travels and you're connected to conversations you may have but after that nothing it's a steep drop nothing so yeah. life reincarnation no gods it's just 
I, from an early age, I can say it now because I'm an adult. I'm not scared of anyone, mostly. And uh, so I can be honest about it that I just always thought, because I would have had to spend a whole life having to go to churches and hymns every morning at my school and singing Latin and very church oriented. Like, I think it was my cadences and music have come from hymns. My knowledge of music comes from church music because that's the music that I heard. I mean, organs, stuffy, you know, hymns, Jerusalem in England's green emperor, all that stuff, you know? And I loved them. The Christmas carols, great. I love churches, very reverential, they're really beautiful. I'm very, I'm, I'm really, sorry, I'm really respectful in them. I'm really respectful in them. Um, but I don't really connect to, you know, all the claims the claims i find hard and i've always been sort of insulted that you know moral structures and guidelines are perfectly um doable without the confines of religion it's always that sort of thing that they say you know, that's how you build society well to me it's how you control society specifically poor people getting control uh that's how i always felt it um reverence and the kind of fear and then the the powers up in the churches uh i heard some amazing stuff about this yesterday actually that was definitely a different podcast but yeah. some amazing claims about that about the church and about how um after the the world wars you know a lot of unscrupulous people became um you know the the, the, the great plague things like that there's so many um great best people used to be the priests they're the intellectuals back in the day and as uh, was the smartest people and after the great plague um then when they lost so many um priests would go to do last rites and so you'd lose all 80 percent of all of this and so they allowed the thresholds of getting into the priesthood were, were greatly dashed after many catastrophes because there weren't many left. So the concept was that unscrupulous people would come in and specifically that's when you get all the problems arose. But anyway, that's a whole different different podcast. Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's abuse of power, which exists in the music yeah. industry as well. So I wonder, um, hearing you talk about your boys is really sweet. So this becomes sort of, um, you know, a real life question. If you were to try and distill some of this wisdom you've been kind enough to share over the last half hour, um, imagining a 21-year-old version of yourself in today's world, uh, what advice might you give this 21-year-old you? Run. <laughs> My son is 17 and he really wants to be a singer. Um, it's amazing, you know, wow, the journey, this journey, because this is the point where you want to have the most input, but anthropologically you're meant to have the least input because it's the, the years of independence when I'm not the person who's meant to be guiding them. This whole concept of us tiger parenting our kids until the, the end is horrific and stifling and they got like break away from us. Um, and I've, so my only criteria, I'm really lucky, you know, I've 
such an incredible life. And that's one thing that's afforded me is allowing my kids the freedom to truly follow what interests them. I mean, I've got a 15 and a nine year old, so I may screw up, but just the idea that, that as they go into the world, I can't tell them what to do. I can't, I can sit and bounce the, the ideas off of, with them if that's what they want. I mean, you know, can think what I think or can hear what I think, but people got to figure out what they do, what they're going to do and what is their, what's their passion. I've tried my whole life to give them different things, to inspire them to an instrument, uh, a sport, a pair of, running shoes are they going to run are they going to bike are they going to who are they and i've placed all these things in their way to see what they pick up and do and i still don't know because i think they get too many things and it's just like the scourge of the the, the, the irony of having you know too much you know because we can't help it you know so they're a little bit uh used to like they have a great bike and a great skateboard some kids you know they don't so but the advice I would give, um, don't try too hard and be at being anybody else um, and just really strip it back to being, you, the most interesting you can be is to be yourself. And people talk about, for instance, with acting, I think it's the same with music, you know, is music it's a philosophical, philosophical question, which I've never thought about it in other words. But is music uh, putting on an outfit, an act, or is it taking off an act? Like my preferred uh, aesthetic is to take off. You know, reveal more, be more open, be more vulnerable. Um, a lot of other people, way more successful than I am, their thing is put on a good time. This is great. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is, it's sort of, it's a build a sort of a, like, like an Instagram, like a social media life. You know, you build a great life. You look, you sing a great song, you live a great lifestyle. People want those lifestyles, you know, all of hip hop is based on, I love hip hop is, you know, it's very interesting when you've got more uh, introverted um, hip hop, you know, LL Cool J, obviously, that I Feel Love was the first one in hip hop to have any vulnerability. But now you have lots of people with uh, incredible uh, vulnerability um, in hip hop, you know, um, and that's a beautiful thing. So that's the philosophical question. Who do you want to be if you're a musician? What kind of musician? It's easiest if you, if you figure out who you want to be. Most interesting for me is the people that that reveal the most. And so that would involve people going into themselves and mining who they are to create something as different as possible to everyone else, as singular as possible, which is hard because, you know, in music, the irony is, is that you take, um, it's, it's a torch, it's a passing of a torch. And so you, it's beautiful to have your influences in there. You should have your influences in there. Um, I think that's just how it goes. It's a respect to who inspired you. And it just shows the, the shoulders on, on who you're standing. And that's that's a beautiful thing. But your voice on top of that, with all that, that, that reality, has to be singular. Because it's how you live your life is the most interesting thing you could ever think of. If you can, if you can um, distill your own opinion to where it's the best of your opinions, Everyone's interesting enough to be heard. 
Do you know what I mean? Everyone's interesting enough to be heard. But the trick is to how do you unlock that? And to me, it's by being as um, selfless, like the least artifact as possible, the least dressing, the least makeup, really like a light on you. And then you get, you might end up saying something interesting. Look at Adele. You know, Adele's perfect example of that. She spent her entire massive career uh, with her heart in the most, in, you know, beautiful tune on her on her sleeve. You know, just at her outfit is her heart. You know, and and everybody loves her. Everybody, everybody. She's just a quintessential, like perfect artist because she's so real. So be real. There's another phrase: twenty minute answer or. He says, Gavin says, be real. <laughs> it is crazy how much that word comes up as the secret to kind of to all of it, vulnerability. So I really appreciate that's where you landed. Yeah, that's that's all it is. Because it's, I think that we're, especially with songs as an art form, it's, it's, it's describing the everyday so we all relate, describing the relatable in a particularly singular way. And that's that's the that's the that's the mojo. That's the that's the that's the that's the secret source. Yeah, me yeah. for me, Gavin. This is so great. I really appreciate. I think people are going to love this. I really appreciate you showing up and and giving me so much of your time and your wisdom. Thank you very much. It's not my wisdom. It's just my insight. For me. <laughs> I mean, I hit plenty of walls, but thank you for saying that. <laughs> I'll take it. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.